Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Okay, imagine I'm a new member, okay? I've just come to Capitol Hill, and I'm going to be on a committee that influences your issue. Tell me how you end up influencing me or how how you create a relationship. Yeah, I'd say uh, let's be careful. We don't try and influence people. In every major city, there are certain words that hold an undeniable kind of power. San Francisco has startups. Starting today, our company is now Meta. New York has finance. $50 and Washington has influence. Nothing is more sought after on the Hill than being influential. But the funny thing about influence is sometimes those who have the most of it want nothing to do with the term. There's no quid pro quo. There's no influencing. Lobbyists like these two. I think the influence is overrated. It's more just good education. We'll do anything legally possible to, yes, influence lawmakers. But they'll do even more to make sure you call their work anything but. We're not influencing. We're basically stating our position and hoping that the member of Congress, he or she, sees our side. The lobbying industry spent decades on Washington's K Street near the White House. If you mention that term K Street, most people would assume you mean lobbying. Who has offices on K Street anymore? I mean, what firms have offices on K Street? Not many. So K Street is becoming old news, and influence peddlers have explored more subtle ways to twist the arms of members of Congress. Everything just moved east, and now it's like no one wants to be on the other side of 7th Street, right? As far as, like, lobbyists. Like, the closer you are, the better you are. They're pretty close, all right. These days, those iconic brick row houses on Capitol Hill, they aren't for living in. They're for lobbying. Picture this. A couple of blocks from the House and Senate floors, there's a beautiful string of townhouses. Off to your left is a, a beautiful, you know, sitting room. And then on this, this main floor, you also have the, the kitchen, which leads to the back patio. To the casual observer, they look like other homes in this quaint, historic neighborhood. So who lives there? Who can afford this? Dignitaries? Political royalty? Dibs on the couch. So, like, good luck on that one. What if I told you they were a bunch of pilots whose group invests in this real estate, hoping their proximity will make it easier to rub shoulders with lawmakers outside of the bounds of, say, government property? You certainly want a place where people can convene and and feel comfortable. To the icing on the cake is basically, as everybody knows in Washington, D.C., it's, it's building the relationships. That's how you get things done. You got it. Influence. I mean, sorry, educate. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, and you want my, you want my uh, cockpit voice, right? Or flight deck voice? Yeah, okay. All right, you guys ready for this? I'm Tara Palmieri. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Politico Playbook Deep Dive. This is Playbook Deep Dive. And today... We'll be flying at 30,000 feet above Capitol Hill. Please fasten your seatbelts. Politico identified more than 20 properties around the Capitol, 
owned by business groups and others lobbying Congress. Location, 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 right? Just behind these well-kept gardens and these cast iron gates are DC's secret lobbying dens. Here, you might bump into someone like Scott Eckhart from Emergent Strategies, a well-established lobbying shop. Well, the rules make it tough to do anything fun anymore, <laughs> but no. Or pilot Brian Bell, a lobbyist for the Allied Pilots Association. You know, we kind of kid about it. Some of the members of Congress is like, they could almost yell in their votes from how close we are. But before I get you behind the brick facades, I'll need some background. So I'm going to interview Brian Bell, the pilot and lobbyist at the Allied Pilot Association, mm-hmm. and also Scott Eckert, who's a lobbyist at Emergent DC. What should I know about them? Hmm. My colleague Haley Fuchs mapped out and tracked down many of these houses on Capitol Hill. Scott used to be with the Chamber of Commerce. That's like, he has just like an interesting perspective based on that. I think the Chamber used to have a house. With Brian, I mean, just like ask him to like describe more details about the house because I feel like that's interesting. Like the pillows on the couch in the basement that have boarding passes for all of the like pilots to like their, from their home base airport or something. Haley. You toured Brian's lobbying house, and we'll hear more from those two lobbyists later. But for starters, what is a lobbying house? Various trade organizations, groups lobbying the Hill, companies will purchase a house that kind of looks like any other row home in D.C. around Capitol Hill. And it's an opportunity for them to host lawmakers, to socialize with Hill staff, and to you know have a home base for their advocacy on the Hill. And why would they want to be in these townhouses on Capitol Hill? What I've heard is it's often hard to get a member of Congress down to your office on K Street. So these offices are, you know, located very conveniently for just social interactions between people on K Street and people on the Hill. So how have these lobbying houses grown since the pandemic? Yeah, so the pandemic really obviously shut down the vast majority of the D.C. fundraising and and social scene. And so this part of town was largely dormant for the majority of the pandemic. But we're hearing that things are starting up again. I think that they'll become a more opportune space for lobbying groups as the pandemic lessens. These lobbying houses, they're nothing new, right? Even sometimes lawmakers would stay there instead of getting apartments. We Mm -hmm. know that. I've heard that in the Mm -hmm. past, that they would crash there. You know, it's sort of a spot where you're, you know, everyone knows your name. It's like cheers, but it's a house. Are there any telltale signs that a house is owned by a lobbyist? Yeah, I mean, many of these houses that are owned by trade groups or companies or others look like any other house. There's no sign. They're very inconspicuous. You know, a few here and there will have a small sign, but they really kind of blend into the Capitol Hill scene, which is interesting. You know, it leads you to believe that maybe some of these companies don't want you to know that that they own these houses. I would think like there's a part of a lobbyist that want to say, hey, I have amazing connections with Joe Manchin, right? He's at my house every every day. And then there's the the members who are going to try to downplay it, right? Yeah. Can you kind of explain how that influence works? Like, it's not like this association holds an event for you or a lobbyist holds an event for you and then tomorrow you're going to vote the way that they want you to, right? I mean, like, can you explain how this soft influence works? Yeah. So I think that maybe part of it is subconscious, right? They want members to just think highly of them and think highly of their organization by having, if the member has like a positive time at their townhouse. And so I think there's hope that it will create a positive relationship in the long term so that if this group ever needs something and needs to call in a favor, that that relationship is there. 
a big part of like Washington advocacy and Washington influence is just building relationships long term so that, you know, you have that relationship if you ever need a favor. How do lobbyists even pick their targets or vice versa? Is it based on where their offices are, like what the lawmakers' pet projects are or what their constituents care about? Like how do lobbyists target lawmakers? Part of who they're targeting is who has key positions on key committees, who are the leadership of committees that have jurisdiction over, you know, whatever business interests they have. Part of it is where their district is. You know, if it's like the Sugar Association, does their state have like a large portion of the sugar industry, for example? Personal affinity for an industry based on where they might have worked or where a family member might have worked. I mean, companies and trade associations are skilled at finding who their allied members would be. You know, that's their job. It does almost kind of feel like an embassy in some ways or a residence. You know, when you walk into a a country's embassy or residence, it's decorated to reflect the country, right? And the flag and the style and the culture. So it's like they're kind of turning these into maybe embassies as well for living room diplomacy, right? (laughs) I was driving around Calorama today and as I was driving around, I thought, huh, this is just if you, like, increase the price of those townhouses and, like, the, the size, this would, you know, this is probably the OG townhouse circle. If these townhomes are like embassies, then Scott Eckert is a diplomat for hire. He spent decades as a lobbyist and now runs a company that works on democratic-focused lobbying strategies. All right, Scott, I am a member of Congress and one of your clients needs to influence me on a vote. How do you get my attention? How do you make contact with me and get me to the point where influence is is made? (laughs) I don't know if it's influence, more educate, I would say. But, uh, you know, I think obviously the key thing you do on that whole to start with is to educate the staff, get a sense of where the staff is, what they're thinking, where they're headed. Oh, yeah. Scott is definitely one of those people I was telling you about who has influence but doesn't want to say he does. You're also sort of selling them on your position, right? Sure. I mean, most most astute lawmakers kind of know, like, when you, when, you, when you walk in the door with a client, they kind of know what position you're going to be on. I firmly believe, like, 85% of life is sales anyway. But so, yeah, you're always selling, but no more than you are in anything, anything else that you're doing. Otherwise, though, like, what's another value you can offer to a member when they're in Capitol Hill, like what, what can you what can you offer them? Well, the rules make it tough to do anything fun anymore. <laughs> but no, no, uh, no. In all seriousness, I think that hosting fundraisers and getting them in front of clients that potentially could support them um, or actually do support them and pulling that together, all those are those are like kind of like run of the mill daily jings we do as our job. Okay, so you can offer to host fundraisers, but like, what was it like before? You said it's it's not fun anymore. Was it what was the Wild West like before? You know, you can take them to football games and basketball games, and you take them to sporting events. You could do a lot of stuff, right? Where I don't really think influence the votes that much, or but you had a lot more fun doing our jobs and what we do now, right? Um, like, I don't even know, like, you can't even buy a member dinner unless you're writing them a check, right? One of the reasons I think the townhomes play such a critical role in, in the business that we are in, you know, especially in this new normal we're in, like people can can come here, like you don't have to worry about whether or not the restaurant's open or not. Socializing. Socializing, right? 100%. <laughs> yeah. It is a bit of a safe space, I guess you could say. Yeah, totally. I think that's right. If you were advising a client, what would you tell them would be the advantage of buying or renting a townhome right near Capitol Hill? It is expensive, but it's it's definitely... I mean, it's 
worth it just for the convenience and the ease and the access. I mean, I mean, I sit between Cafe Berlin and Bistro Cacao, right? So I can tell you who's having, like most days, I can tell you who's having lunch with who. And that information is important. So do you think Capitol Hill is going to replace K Street one day? I think it already has. Who has offices on K Street anymore? I mean, what firms have offices on K Street? Not many. It used to be kind of like a, a sign of like prominence, like a white shoe lobbying firm, right? Right. If you're a company, you're like, you're like, look, I mean, instead of investing in, I view it as if you're investing in like a long-term legacy cost with like infrastructure with people versus kind of trim that back a bit and then like just do firms that you can mix and match and interchange and, 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 and get what you need out of like, and but that, that requires our industry to be a little bit more hands-on for clients. Like you can't just like, Hey, say, this is what I'm hearing. And like, here's what you guys should do. That gets a little bit, that doesn't sell so much in today's climate. Cause I think clients are looking for more, as an extension of the team. Um, is that part of the appeal besides proximity to the hill that the houses look residential, but everyone there now knows they're not really anymore? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I was never I was never a Capitol Hill rat. I never lived on the hill. You know, people who live on the hill never leave the hill, right? They got 14 Frager t-shirts and like three dogs and, you know, they've been there forever. So I, <laughs> so I, I can't, you know, I can't really, I've always been a Northwest guy. So I don't, I, I don't know, like, at what point? Because, like, you know, that whole block of, of New Jersey um, and kind of that first block of D Street on the house side is pretty much all firm-based or, or extensions of government affairs offices. It's a bit of mixing business and pleasure, if I may say so. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's right. I think in some respects, I feel like you're a company that, that has execs traveling a lot to D.C. It makes sense to, like, go ahead and, like, put some people – in a Capitol Hill office and have a bedroom or two on the third or fourth floor, whatever it is to have like executives stay there rather than paying the hotel if you want to. And you can also, you can use it for event space. Is there anything we're missing in terms of like what the appeal is of these houses for lawmakers from your perspective? For lawmakers, I, like I think most of it for them is it's an inexpensive way to do a fundraiser and a quick and efficient way to do a fundraiser. Honest to goodness. I think that's probably the biggest, most, the broadest appeal for them is like, they can they can rent our space, um, and it's easy to get there and back, right? You can get to and from votes. And it's a lot cheaper and a lot easier, right? They cater to themselves or get a caterer to do it on the cheap. Right. I mean, like, how much do you guys usually charge to to host at the house? Well, like, it's like all they're using is their space for like an hour and a half. So I think the standard rate's anywhere from like 250 to 500 bucks, right? So obviously these houses have been super valuable during the pandemic. But post-pandemic, do you think they're still going to be valuable? Oh, Yeah. I definitely, irrespective of the pandemic, I think the center of gravity in this city has moved east ever since, you know, 2000, right? So the last 20 years, K Street, 16th and K was kind of the center of the universe, right? You could be on the other side of the White House and, 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 and do that. Everything just moved east. And now it's like almost no one wants to be on the other side of 7th Street, right? As far as like lobbyists. Yeah. There's so much activity on the Hill, um, kind of at a, at a pretty constant kind of, you know, drumbeat that like the closer you are, the better you are. Okay. Are there, have you ever found an example where an organization just had such a good party scene that it actually helped their influence on the Hill where it like kind of helped, um, elevate their influence? Well, I think you look at, um, I don't know if it actually helps to elevate their influence, but it certainly doesn't like 
I mean, Southern Company always throws a great Christmas party. People are waiting for that to come back, right? And there are people are disappointed that that one's not coming back. You know, you could argue that some of the big tech platforms always threw a good party, right? That hasn't always turned out to be such a great thing for them, but like they have a great party. I mean, I think there's enough diversity in our business where like clients who want a more fun group, they will hire them. People who want some, some clients who want something kind of more staid in their approach, um, they will find them. So I don't necessarily know if it helps or hurts, right? But it kind of sorts itself out. How do you figure out or strategize who the next generation of leaders will be? What do you look for? I mean, you can tell pretty soon after people get into Congress whether or not like people gravit like their colleagues gravitate toward them or they have the ability to build consensus. And, you know, there are pretty straightforward things people can do when they're in Congress to like to build um, a broader network and are they engaged? Are they are they are they engaged in issues? Are they helping their colleagues? That's kind of what you look for. And like, are they being helpful to their colleagues is a good one, right? Like, do they, do they go to their events? Do they help, do they write checks for folks? Do they help them raise money for the folks who need it? So you have a class of 20 and there's like three or four of them that are doing that. Like maybe not all of them, not all three or four will pan out to be, you know, stars, but you can kind of tell who's going to be a star and who's not going to be a star for six months into Congress. While the concept of a lobbying townhouse is nothing new, there are always fresh faces moving to the neighborhood. One of those is Brian Bell. He's a pilot and a lobbyist for the Allied Pilots Association. And here's the cherry on top. Location, 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 right? Right. We're right there on New Jersey Avenue. In fact, you know, we kind of kid about it. Some of the members of Congress is like they could almost yell in their votes from how close we are to Congress. Every person. So we have eight pilots, right? We're... Even though we register as lobbyists, we're more pilot advocates and subject matter experts. But every single one of us has had numerous members of Congress, when they hear what location we are or where we're at, I mean, it's like, hey, can we do an event over there? So just from like the exterior or have they heard that inside it's kind of this cool arrow theme house, that it's like just a fun venue? A little bit of both because the relationships that we have built and we've had events at some of the houses we used to rent. And you walk in and it's aviation themed throughout the house. I mean, pilots, that's one thing we take a lot of pride in is our profession, right? It's still to some of us that have been flying for 35 years, it's a very cool job. And that's why we're on Capitol Hill. We're trying to defend it against the threats out there. And then there's personalized items like Haley was saying where, you know, like the the pillows are each one of us, wherever base we're flying out of, there's a pillow for that. Yeah, that's cool. So it's like, it's just kind of like the fun touch. It's like the reason you would go to one bar versus another in some way, right? Exactly, exactly. Because it's an experience for these people. They can go to any other house. I mean, is it competitive to get these members to your house? I would say, you know, we we work hand in hand with a lot of groups on the Hill or other trade associations. And I think what really allures people is that you might not be a pilot, but I guarantee you're probably going to fly, especially the members of Congress, they're going to fly out on Friday or they're going to be coming in on Monday and they're going to say, hey, you know, I wish I had a pilot. I could ask what was going on on that flight there. So as far as competing, we basically just say, hey, you know, here's who we are. Here's where our house is. And, you know, we'd love to have events and uh, build those relationships. I mean, besides having cool digs, do you suspect that they also want to use your space because it's less expensive than other venues around town? I bet anytime cost is involved, that might be a thing. I think the biggest thing, though, to be honest with you, Tara, is the location. It is, 
Kind of like what you were saying. I mean, it's almost between votes they could run over and do an event. Or if they were at our house and something changed with the vote schedule and they had to be back quickly, they could do it. It seriously takes probably about 60 seconds to walk to the the house buildings from our house. Really quickly, are these events covered under FEC rules? Absolutely. But like, do you think it sort of blurs the perception of what lobbying is and what it can be? I guess depending on how you look at it. One thing, first and foremost, this isn't any quid pro quo or any any items like that. What we're doing, our main focus is, one, allowing a venue to just build relationships. I mean, aviation issues in itself is so bipartisan. That's the beauty, because if you look at our house, too, it's right almost equidistant between the DNC and RNC. But when we're talking these issues, we want to make sure, especially when it comes to safety or these really important issues to us, that the member of Congress, we have tons of meetings with the staff, but there's just something special when you're actually talking to that member of Congress and saying, sir, ma'am, congressman, congresswoman, you know, and, and what gives us credibility or authenticity is, you know, I'm an actively flying pilot. I fly 777s uh, for American out of Dallas. So in my conversations, I might be able to say, hey, you know, this issue we're talking about, hey, Last week, I had this. I observed it. It's right there for me. It's the real deal. Instead of somebody that might be up there lobbying who isn't a pilot and says, hey, I heard from a pilot. Now they're actually being able to say, wow, okay, I talked to Brian or I talked to Jonathan or I talked to Sean and it happened to them. Are you ever concerned about scrutiny over like even just offering members like a meal or drinks or something like that in the house? Are there any people that are like, you know what, I can't, that's a gift or something like that? The concern is always there, but I think because of the way we do our procedures, that scrutiny is gone because we're going to pull to the law, whatever it is, and make sure we're not even going to go near the gray areas or any, anything like that. Okay. Imagine I'm a new member, okay? I've just come to Capitol Hill and I'm going to be on a committee that influences your issue of aviation. Talk to me from like the second, it's like January 20th. Tell me how you how you end up influencing me or how, how you create a relationship. Yeah, I'd say uh, let's be careful. We don't try and influence people. We always try and get the relationship and state our position and what's important. Mm-hmm. But a perfect example would be uh, a T&I subcommittee. This was at, at the old house. We All the freshman members that were involved on the aviation sub, we tried to hold an event for them. We did that. And that's mm-hmm. basically where we stated our position. But we're not... Like I said, there's no quid pro quo. There's no influencing. If you come to our house, you know, expect this. That's never an option. Soft influence. How does a house have a role in that? I'd still like to stay clear of saying we influence by way of the house. But what the house allows us to do more than anything, it allows us, if that member of Congress is in an event at our house, we have that one-on-one interaction where we can state our side of the position. Okay, so do you try to have them over for dinner often? No, we we, we never, it, it wouldn't be like Brian's going to go, hey, Joe Congressman, come over to the house for dinner. That doesn't happen. So this house is fairly new for your group, but what do you hope it becomes in lawmakers' minds? I would hope that if they reach out to us and they know it's going to be a great location, they know it's going to be a great event, and, you know, other trade associations might join in and, and help on the event. Just I want it to be a good, safe environment where they can come and we can talk issues and uh, basically have a good time. Like the go-to place for their next Christmas party. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it would have to technically fall under all the FEC guidelines as far as an event. It, it's can't, it can't be like, hey, let's throw a, a big party in this house and do it that way. It, it's got to ad- adhere to the guidelines. Right. Okay, Christmas party fundraiser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you can't have a party without raising money in D.C. Yeah, exactly. It's illegal. Right, (laughs) right. Yeah. And that's our show. Our producers are Kara Tabor and Carlos Prieto. Our senior producer is Jenny Ament. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi, who's actually leaving us today. We'll miss you, resident raccoon enthusiast. Mike Zappler is Playbook's daily newsletter editor. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you hear, follow, rate, and review us wherever you listen. I'm Tara Palmieri. Thanks for listening. Does airplane mode actually really, truly, like, make that much of a difference? Oh, it It could. It, uh, some of the older planes, it made a huge difference on the super 80. I used to fly. We could tell somebody had their cell phone on back there because right underneath the belly is navigation equipment. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, a phone just like this, if you had it on, we could tell because our instruments start going like this a little bit. Wow. It could be a big deal. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah.